I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's nice to be joining you again on another week, because I have some great news. If you caught my little uh, Ustream Facebook integration video, you already know this, but for those who don't, please bear with me while I shout out, free at last, free at last, thanks Satan Almighty, we are free at last. And what does that mean? Radio Free Satan picked us up. And they actually picked us up uh, nearly three episodes ago. So this will probably be the fourth episode airing on the network. But to be a part of the Radio Free Satan network is a true honor. Uh, You know, I'm very honored just to be among the other DJs uh, that make up that really fantastic network. I've been talking about it for quite some time, really since I started this whole thing, this whole podcast. So, um, you know, just to be considered and to be accepted is just fantastic for us. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm going to do my best not to (laughs) drag down the Radio Free Satan name. Um, Okay, so that great news, top of the show, had to tell you, I've been bristling with excitement. And it's, you know, I've put the information out there and it's been spread out if you follow Radio Free Satan or any of the other uh, Satanists that are associated with that through Facebook or any other social networking. Uh, Also, you know, if you can't tell already, my throat's a little itchy. I don't know if I'm coming down with a cold or just a sore throat or something. So I hope you'll bear with me throughout this episode. It's really starting to drive me crazy anyway. But this is another episode, and I'm going to give it to you as best I can, as usual. Um, I am live on Facebook, streaming through Ustream, so if you're you're not checking us out there next time, maybe see it if you want to see the live show. Uh, This week, I have the second half of the interview in Creature Feature with Travis Sewer. It's going to show the second trailer for his short film, Lullaby, and then at the end of this interview, it's going to show... Uh, behind closed doors. And this is really a live show exclusive, so I I try to reward those people who actually tune in live uh, to the show every Sunday nights at 9 Mountain Time, other than seeing my beautiful face. (laughs) Right? Uh, Last show, uh, technical issues um, were crazy. We had so many fucking problems cropping up. Uh, It doesn't seem to be affecting it this time. But uh, uh, I did have an issue with... See, the way I record these shows, on a little technical notes here, uh, I have Audacity running in the background, and it's recording as I'm streaming live through Ustream. I don't have a soundboard or anything that I have multiple audio devices plugged into, so I'm, I'm really sort of uh, putting out there the only way that I'm... I know how to do it, you know? Uh, and, and sometimes that means that there are a few technical glitches. Like last week, it was picking me up on my camera microphone rather than my new microphone. Uh, this week, I've remedied that. So I apologize about 
making you guys listen to that really shitty fucking microphone. Hopefully this episode will be a lot better. And, uh, you know, it's really shaping up to be already. So what did I do this week? It, it was a really busy week. I, I've, I try to jam pack as much as I can and as much, as much activity as I can into the weekends as possible. And then this leaves me exhausted, truly drained. Uh, during the week, I interviewed, um, Storm, which is going to be airing next week, about, um, sort of his take on the paw print inkathon that happened last week. Yeah, last week. Um, I'm starting to get my weeks mixed up here. Uh, it's just, I'm just drained from this weekend, as I'd mentioned. So, Friday night, we had a barbecue and drank heavily with some, uh, good friends of mine. Uh, Saturday, I went to the Renaissance Festival, uh, Utah Renaissance Festival and Fair, as if they have to add on and fair, because we don't know that it's going to be like this vendor-centric show, you know, I mean, mean, really, the entire thing, I mean, it's really actually kind of new, it's only been going on, I think, for like eight years or something like that in Utah, Uh, Arizona has this really astounding one that I've been to before, but this show was really centered around this joust, you know, uh, that that uh, really professional people are, are running. So it's it's really well done. They really sort of build up the audience um, with some pre-joust show fair, <laughs> you know, I mean, just like little tests of skill and whatever. What I hate about shit like this, see, I, I love it because... I'm Scottish by ancestry, and, you know, Campbell clan, I I really take great pride in in my family name and stuff. What I don't like is running into these people that go to either Highland Games or clan festivals or Renaissance festivals, and they immediately think it's some sort of, like, live-action role-play. And I understand the people that work there are doing it, because they want to really immerse you in that environment that they're, you know, obviously you're paying to get in there. And so they want to provide you with some entertainment during the whole process. But it's really fucking annoying when you have these people that are obviously barely dressed up or, or just poorly dressed up if dressed up at all. And they're throwing out these really shitty accents, you know, and I talked about accents in a previous show and how much I hate hate it when people do this stuff, but, you know, not only just the accent as if, you know, talking in modern day lingo, but they'll try to throw in, like, these Shakespearean phrases and wording, and it's so aggravating to fucking listen to. I mean, we were watching this coin press demonstration, and the guy was being pretty cool, he was just sort of telling us how he did it, Um, and then suddenly someone came up in, like, this fucking cloak, and started talking this really shitty English accent, uh, you know, this shitty fucking Shakespearean lingo to the guy giving the demonstration, and, and that just triggered his needing to talk in that same ridiculous manner, and just not two seconds ago, he was talking to us like a regular fucking human being, explaining this process of, of imprinting these coins with this guillotine uh, machine, and suddenly he turns into fucking, I don't know, fucking King Richard or something. It's just so aggravating to listen to. And all you want to do is, like, pull him down and you start fucking hitting him in the face. Like, you're not from fucking 16th century England. Stop fucking acting like you are. And badly, I might add. 
Ah, anyway, I don't even know why I fucking go to it because that is the type of people that these sort of festivals draw. You know, they're like basement fucking dwellers, fucking mouth breathers, and it just drives me fucking crazy. Just speak like a regular fucking person. Enjoy the atmosphere. There's people singing and dancing and whatever. Just fucking enjoy it for that. You don't have to fucking try to talk like you're from that period. You look like a jackass. You know, am I the only one <laughs> that fucking feels this way? Fuck. Uh, I don't think I am. But still, they fucking do it. Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> that was Saturday. Um, you know, I was hanging out with some good friends, and we ended up drinking a lot again. Uh, uh, barbecued yet again. You know, I, I try to barbecue every weekend because during the spring and summer, there's just nothing better than barbecue, man. It's fantastic. Anyway, today was sort of a day off. I was actually going to go down and get um, talk to Art on You Studios about a tattoo and stuff, but... I ended up being too beat. I had to fucking work on the yard and, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Uh, anyway, like I mentioned before, I integrated Ustream with Facebook. Uh, so if you're a Facebook user and you've been having problems with 9centspodcast.com website or the Ustream website, hopefully this will um, just be another avenue and you can chat and stuff uh, through it as well. I'm trying to deliver this show in as many avenues as possible. So it's as easy for you to get as possible. So on Facebook, you can watch it live on Sundays or just listen to the podcast on Monday nights because it auto-publishes as I publish it to my website. Or you can go to my website and you can watch the show or listen to previous episodes. Or you can go to, really what you should do is go to RadioFreeSatan.com and listen to the shows there because there's some other really fantastic podcasts uh, featured there as well. And... um you could always go to Ustream and just view the show there. Uh, so, you know, really there's a ton of ways to check this out. And I'm also trying to, you know, thinking about inter- integrating MySpace and Twitter and stuff. But I'm just not that big into the multiple social networking connections. I genuinely think that Facebook's going to, like, take them over in a couple of years, like, altogether. I mean, the other ones will still be around. They're just not going to be as... Uh, accepted, you know, and what I would love is if I could somehow connect this to satannet.com undercroft, I think that would be fantastic, Um, and I'm still trying to do it without contacting the admin there, because I don't want to bug them with my show, you know, (laughs) Uh, but that, that is my goal, is to allow this show to be seen as you want to see it, Um, the easiest way for you to do it. Uh, Okay, so this week's show In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about pentagonal revisionism. In Infernal Informant, we're going to be talking about the Arizona immigration law, uh, sort of my take on it. And then um, I I found an article about a child kidnapper who was assaulted um, in prison. And so I'm going to sort of talk about that in brief. And then I already mentioned that in Creature Feature, we're going to do the second half of the interview with... uh, uh, Travis Sewer. And then, as always, I have just a little bit of a uh, bizarre of the bizarre to bitch about or talk about, you know, however you want to see it. So, thank you for joining me for another week. I hope you're entertained for the show I have for you because I think it's a rather good one. Let's move on to the devil's advocate. <laughs> Oh, 
We are the devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Pentagonal Revisionism. This is from the Church of Satan website, uh, theory practice page. As always, I've been sort of featuring articles that are on the site in hopes to draw people to it and learn a little bit more about uh, not only the Church of Satan, but Satanism in general, um, or to just, you know, give a refresher on, on some of the content. Because there is really a lot of really great content on the website that I think may be a little bit difficult to find, but should be noted and, and, you know, be made aware of nonetheless. Okay, so this is an article written by Anton Zander LeVay in 88. Um, a five-point program. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read sort of the beginning of it. I'm not going to read the entire thing verbatim and just sort of drop down to the five points and, you know, give you my take on them. Uh, so it says here, In recent years, we've wasted far too much time explaining that Satanism has nothing to do with kidnapping, drug abuse, child molestation, animal or child sacrifice, or any number of other acts that idiots, hysterics, or opportunists would like to credit us with. Satanism is a life-loving, rational philosophy that millions of people adhere to. Now we're ready for something that goes quite a few steps beyond just explaining our principles. Every revisionist movement needs a set of goals, guidelines that are clear, concrete, and that will effect significant changes. The following five-point program reflects attitudes which allow others to decide whether they wish to align themselves with Satanism or not. Each is necessary for Satanic change to take place. When asked what we're doing, here's the answer. Uh, So I'm going to tell you what they are, and then I'm going to talk about them. So the first is stratification. Second, strict taxation of all churches. Third, no tolerance for religious beliefs secularized and incorporated into law and order issues. Four, development and production of artificial human companions. And last, fifth, the opportunity for anyone to live within a total environment of his or her choice with mandatory adherence to the aesthetic and behavioral standards of same. Okay, so let's talk about number one, stratification. Um, This is, I guess you could say, this is the segregation of peoples. Now, what we're not talking about is, is... gender or or ethnicity we're talking about fucking stupidity <laughs> you know a lot of people like to um and you know what this is it can actually be personified by this do-it-yourself uh movement that has taken over all of us what you find is that people believe that they can do whatever they want so they can be on par literature wise with um uh, Henry David Thoreau, or with uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, for example, and so they just start 
writing out their own blathering bullshit and, and trying to promote it as if it were on par um, quality-wise. And that's just not the fucking case. And I've talked in previous episode about inherent capacity, and, and this really, you know, is driving home that point through stratification. We should not be living in a world... And our goal is not to live in a world where everyone is treated equally and every idea is equally good. Because, you know what? We shouldn't have participation awards. Either you fucking deserve the award by winning, or you don't. Just showing up? That's not a fucking achievement. And not every child is special and not Everyone is going to make it, and not everyone has the fucking opportunity to be president or to walk on the fucking moon. Our world is not set up that way, but it seems like this, uh, and, and I don't know if it started with the fucking baby boomer society in, in their in their maturation, but at some point as a society, we've decided that everyone is equal. It's never been the case. Really, it should never be the case. Um, you know, a Satanist are the alien elite. I've never met a Satanist who isn't gifted artistically in one way or another, be it music or fine arts or um, literature. I mean, it's just this need to express yourself. And you can't tell me that someone who lives that is going to be put on the same level as fucking Joe Schmo who just wants to put out a book to make $5. You know, it's, it's not the fucking reality of it. If you live it, if you are passionate about it, if you strive for it, well, that's one thing. But you know what, your ideas are not on par with everyone else's ideas, and your capacity is not on par with everyone else's. So that's the first step, stratification. Stop the fucking participation awards. <laughs> that's, yeah, it makes everyone feel great. But then, you know, what about the person who really fucking works really hard? What about the person that goes above and beyond? Where's the fucking reward that they should earn? It's not fucking participation awards. Uh, so number two, strict taxation of all churches. You know what? The Church of Satan is leading the fucking way in this. Um, and in many other ways, but you know, just talking about taxation here, um, we pay our fucking dues, and they, they have always done so. What we end up having is a group of weak-minded individuals. A lot like, and I'm just going to pull out of the news that I've talked about recently, the Westboro Baptist Church. So essentially, this is a family who goes around to military soldiers' funerals and protests gay lifestyle. Even if that soldier had nothing to do with homosexuality, they're still protesting his funeral in the name of this because that's what their church does. And what this really is is just a fucking family who is claiming tax-exempt status so they can fucking survive and spread their bullshit rhetoric. If they had to be fucking taxed, I bet fucking money they would not be going around. They wouldn't be able to fucking afford it because they don't have the fucking support that they need. And what this would do is really make people reevaluate these fucking 
bullshit organizations that they're connecting themselves to. Um, churches need to be fucking taxed because they are and has have always been businesses. Always. You know, it, it's like there's this espoused ever-loving God who's always fucking broke and you have to fucking fund him. All the while you have ministers uh, driving in uh, fancy cars and uh, on TV with fucking jewelry blinding the viewer from reflected light. Uh, It's just absurd. Tax fucking churches. Let the churches that can't fucking pay them go out of fucking business. And, you know, and, and this is sort of an idea of, of supporting the, the environment that you live in. If you're in America, pay your fucking taxes. You may not like it, and you can change that through legislation, but fucking pay your taxes. Churches are no different. Um, number three, no tolerance for religious beliefs secularized and incorporated into law and order issues. You know, this is really the, the, the scapegoat mentality where, you know, the perpetrator is, is capable of getting away with virtually anything. One, because he has a good lawyer. Um, and two, because he can plead victimization on his own. You know, he, it was the devil that made him do it, or he's not mentally sound, um, and all the while, the end is just so that he avoids jail time, avoids paying the consequences for his or her actions. And this has been going on since the fucking dawn of time. But we need to fucking stop it. Uh, and, and, you know, that's through legislation. And it's not saying that it's just, you know, we want to influence society in our own way. No, we want fucking people to pay for the consequences of their actions. That's both good and bad. That goes both fucking ways. You know, if, if you're going to do something that benefits something else, you know, someone else, then you should be rewarded for that. Uh, but if you're going to fuck someone else over, well, you're going to fucking pay, you know, vengeance. Um, number four, development and production of artificial human companions. Now, this has actually been going on for a while in, um, actually, I saw a a news article on, it was a Japan uh, business that was doing it, and it's never really taken off, and I think that's, and this has actually been addressed also by uh, High Priest uh, Mages Gilmore, uh, that the internet really sort of took place of the artificial human companion, you know, we can... We can really uh, be whoever we want to be and connect with other people or artificial people through online communities. And, and that's sort of really taken the place of, of this idea of an artificial human companion that Anton LaVey had. Uh, but still, he, he wasn't really far off on, on what, it, what was going to come and what is coming because it, you know, it, it is really out there right now. Uh, and number five... Uh, the opportunity for anyone to live within a total environment of his or her choice with mandatory adherence to the aesthetic and behavioral standards of the same. So, you know, this can either be your home designed as you want it um, and just have whatever lifestyle, you know, you want to live in it contained. And, you know, we're not really far from that because... There, there are a lot of 
people already living that lifestyle. Uh, so that's sort of a realized goal here, along with a couple of, of these other ones. You know, we're, we're moving in that direction and we're, we're making great headway. Um, and, and that's sort of the article wrapped up. You should go on the Church of Satan website and check it out. It's also published in some other um, Church of Satan uh, books, you know, centric books. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure if this one was in uh, the, um, the Devil's Notebook or, or not, but I think that's where I might have first saw, saw it. Uh, so when asked, what does Satanists do? Well, this is what we do. This is our goal as a, a Church of Satan, as an organization. So with that said, let's go ahead and move over into the Infernal Informant and talk about some criminal behavior and some immigrants. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. Alright, so both of these articles are actually from CNN this week. Uh, the first one, Arizona takes controversial immigration law to the Supreme Court. This was published May 9th, 2011. And it reads as follows. Arizona Governor Jan Brewer said Monday she is confident the U.S. Supreme Court will lift the injunction on the state's controversial immigration law, known as SB 1070. Brewer has asked the justices to lift the court order that is blocking enforcement of parts of the law which the Obama administration opposes. Quote, For decades, the federal government has neglected its constitutional duty to secure the border. It is because of that negligence that Arizona was forced to take action to protect its citizens via SB 1070, said Brewer. I'm confident that Arizona will emerge victorious from this legal fight, she added. Among other things, the legislation would have required local law enforcement in Arizona to apprehend and help deport illegal immigrants. The U.S. Justice Department sued, arguing that only the federal government has that authority to apprehend and deport illegal immigrants. Last month, a three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals sided with the Justice Department and against Brewer, who signed SB 1070 into law last year. Brewer said her legal team decided to appeal the case directly to the Supreme Court rather than ask the Ninth Circuit to revisit the issue because, quote, there is greater likelihood that legal questions surrounding SB 1070 will be resolved quickly so that the law can begin to do its job. The U.S. District Judge Susan Bolton temporarily blocked the law's most contested parts last July, a day before they were scheduled to go into effect. Those provisions included the requirement that local police officers should check a person's immigration status while enforcing other laws. Now that was something that was blocked. When I get pulled over for speeding or for a traffic violation, they run my place to see if I have any warrants. So why wouldn't they run a check to see if you're a legal citizen or not? And how is checking that a violation of rights at all? I mean, they already check our fucking record. Why not just add that one extra tidbit? And the argument against this is that we're targeting specific ethnicities. And that may be an effect of what happens. It, it may be an unfortunate effect, but if your border is right next to Mexico, 
it, it's kind of hard not to target the Latino citizens um, when they're really the majority <laughs> in that area. It just, you know, it doesn't make sense. So let's say, you know, you're in the northern American border and you have uh, Canadians coming over the border in droves illegally. Would you not target that community? And what's wrong with targeting that community? It's not saying that you're going to fucking throw away people in jail who are citizens. And how long does it take? How much of your time is really being upset? If you're doing a fucking traffic violation anyway to be pulled over, or you're uh, exhibiting suspicious behavior, or you're fucking driving drunk, what's the fucking problem with checking your your legal status as a citizen? Because they're going to check everything else. Your fucking driver's license, for one. If you don't have your driver's license, well, obviously you're not a fucking citizen. You kind of need that information to get a fucking valid driver's license. And it's tough for me because I, you know, I have some some Native American friends who would end up being targeted by this. And that does fucking suck. But if you have your driver's license, problem solved. No big fucking deal. You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, we're all targeted in our society one way or another. You can't get around it. That's part of how we identify with our world around us. We, we create uh, likes and dislikes. If the federal government isn't doing its job in protecting a state from a mass of illegal immigration, well then, it is incumbent upon that state government to protect its citizens in enforcing that law. I understand that you don't, as a federal government, want states to sort of supersede your authority, but really, you know, the federal government, in my opinion, should be running sort of the immigration process, but the legalities of illegal immigration, I think, really should be handled at a state level. You know, it's directly affecting them. You know, I'm in Utah, and and though illegal immigration is sort of an issue here, it's nothing compared to fucking Texas or New Mexico or Arizona or California. You know, these are are directly affected people. Let their fucking representatives protect the citizens. That's what they're fucking voted into office for. So, to, to try to block local police forces from doing their job is absurd. You know, and, and there's a lot of things about this bill that I don't agree with and I think are shady, but it's the fucking state's rights to protect its fucking citizens. Let them do their fucking job. Alright, so the article goes on and we're almost done here. Brewer said at the time that the decision harms the safety and well-beings of Arizonans, but the appeals court ruling upheld Bolton's ruling in April meaning taking away the law enforcement's ability. Um, uh, Legislation has a variety of supporters and detractors. Republican lawmakers, Maricopa Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio and other state governments were among those filing briefs with the appeals court supporting the state. 
the Mexican government, the Anti-Defamation League, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and the city of Tucson, Arizona were among those filing briefs supporting the Justice Department's side. In its lawsuit, the Justice Department challenged only six of Arizona law's provisions, meaning others went into effect in July. Among the provisions given the go-ahead were a ban on sanctuary cities or municipalities with laws or policies that render them relatively safe for undocumented immigrants. Pardon me. Bolton's ruling also allowed a provision making it illegal to hire day labor if doing so impedes traffic. That's a little weird. And her order allowed parts of the law dealing with sanctions for employers who hire illegal immigrants to take effect. Uh, the appellate court sided with the Justice Department largely on the argument that the federal immigration policy, as well as America's standing in the world, would be greatly undermined if individual states adopted their own separate immigration laws. Doing so, the ruling contends, especially means a given state is adopting its own foreign policy, one that may be in opposition to national policy. That's fucking ridiculous. I understand why they would say that, because obviously they're trying to maintain authority over the states on a federal level. So I understand why they're saying it. But it doesn't make any sense. You know, this doesn't affect states not on borders that are literally being overrun. So let them fucking have their own means of handling it. If if the illegal immigrants don't like it, they won't fucking go there. If the citizens don't like it, they can change it through legislation or fucking move. It's You know, we live in a big fucking country. You're not stuck in the state you're living in or the local area you happen to be in at the moment. You can fucking move around. And chances are, there's going to be places where people agree with you that you could go to if that's what you want. You know, people just like to fucking bitch about everything. Uh, Quote, the 50 individual states or one individual state should have a foreign policy that they should have a foreign policy is absurdity too gross to be entertained. I'm quoting uh, Circuit Judge John Noonan. Um, In matters affecting the intercourse of the federal nation with other nations, the federal nation must speak with one voice. And I agree with that. When it comes to, to, you know, national policy, I, I do think there should be one voice. And that one voice should be that the federal government handles immigration processes, but if they're not doing their job protecting the local states, well, then the local states have to do that fucking job for them. Uh, In February, Brewer announced that Arizona had filed a countersuit against the federal government seeking the authority to implement its own border security efforts. At that time, Homeland Security Department spokesman Matt Chandler called Arizona's court claim a meritless one that does nothing to secure the border. And you know what? They're actually right. Um, detaining illegal immigrants doesn't protect the border. And, and I'm sure that the idea of implementing this is that because they're cracking down on existing illegal immigration, illegal immigrants that would normally come into the state would be too um, threatened, and so they wouldn't. So, it, you know, it's, it's sort of um, an indirect solution to border security, you know, so if that's the basis of the law being overturned entirely, I could actually see it happening. But really, you know, it's Arizona. They have a real fucking problem. Let them deal with it the way they want. And if it doesn't fucking work, they'll stop. 
but at least let them have the shot. Uh, personally, I don't agree with some of it, but I think that they do have that authority, you know, if it's not being protected right now. All right, so that was the Arizona um, article I saw, and the next one is also from CNN, Inmate Assaults Child Kidnapper, Missouri Prison Officials Say. This was May 11th, 2011. This one stirs up a little bit of emotion in me, so I hope you can uh, handle if I uh, start fucking screaming at the canyon. I'm not talking to you. I'm just explaining a frustrating situation here. A man serving 74 life sentences for... You know, before I go into this, isn't that a little excessive? I mean, do they really have to do that? I mean, in, in my opinion, one life sentence should be just that. So to stack on, you know, on top of that is just fucking ridiculous. And I'm sure they do it because there's ways of knocking down sentences. So, you know, he may end up only having to, you know, through good behavior or something, do like 73 or 72 life sentences or, you know, whatever the fucking case may be. But, you know, if you do a fucking crime that calls for a life sentence, I'm sorry, but you're fucked. You're in fucking prisoned. End of story. Certainly for this fucking jackass here. Sorry, I'll continue with the article here. I just had to get that out. A man serving 74 life sentences for kidnapping two Missouri boys and holding one of them for more than four years was assaulted by another inmate, officials said Wednesday. Michael Devlin, 45, received superficial puncture wounds from a homemade weapon, said Chris Klein, spokesman for the Missouri Department of Corrections. Klein said he could not identify the other inmate, a motive, or other matters related to the investigation of the April 9th incident. Devlin is being held in administrative segregation from other inmates at Crossroads Correctional Center in Cameron Klein. I'm sorry, in Cameron, Klein told CNN. He was taken to a hospital and he was returned to the maximum security prison, Klein said. The parents of one boy, whom Devlin is accused of abducting in 2002, told Oprah Winfrey in a show that aired in 2007 that they suspected their son was sexually assaulted by Devlin. It's fucking disgusting. Prosecutors alleged that Devlin produced Polaroid photographs and videos of the youth, then 11, and took him to Illinois and Arizona. The two boys were discovered in January 07. The second victim, 13 at the time, was abducted a few days before Devlin's arrest. Devlin, a former pizzeria manager, had two reported conduct violations since his 07 incarceration, according to Klein, whom would not describe them. The inmates' 79 convictions included attempted murder, forcible sodomy, attempted forcible sodomy, aimed, I'm sorry, armed criminal actions, and kidnapping. So I brought this up because this is the first, and I've heard a lot of anecdotal stories about child molesters or sexual assaulters being fucked up and beaten in prison for that behavior, but I've never found or, or read a news article, and it could be because I just haven't noticed them before, they may be out there, but this is the first one I saw, and I thought it was fucking fantastic, and I'll tell you why. When I was in college, I had a psychology professor who counseled sexual criminals. Like, she went into the prisons and would literally talk to them, I suppose, in an effort to help them understand how what they were doing was wrong and that it wasn't right, and maybe even on some level, some naive level, try to cure them or something. After having done this for a number of years uh, and then retiring to teaching, she told us that 
it was incurable. You cannot cure sexual predators, pedophiles. Uh, that is just how and who they are as people. They understand that what they're doing is wrong because society tells them, but they can't control the fact that they have those urges. Some people can control those urges, some sick fucking people who like that sort of thing, and they never get caught, hopefully because they never fucking do that kind of stuff. But for those of them that do, they end up incarcerated and beaten and, and fucked up and hopefully fucking murdered. Um, and this guy, I think, in this article got a fucking light. He assaulted sexually um, and emotionally and literally kidnapped these children from their fucking families. And now we're taking care of him in prison. We're actually taking him away from people who want to enact vengeance in the name of these fucking children who were hurt and protecting him and keeping him safe and alive and warm in bed. This is fucking infuriating. N stories like this need to be fucking promoted. And more, hor more horrific stories need to be touted and put out in the public eye. Because this may, this may, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not foolish here. I, I don't have unrealistic expectations about it. But this may stop some of those sick fucks from doing it. Even if it's just one fucking percent. Let's say only one percent of all sexual abusers, all child molesters, all fucking pedophiles, all sick, twisted fucking individuals see this. And one percent say, you know what? I don't want to get fucking beat like that. I will not do this. Well, that's fucking worth it. And get some fucking photos of the aftermath of these guys getting their fucking asses handed to them in the fucking joint. Or just through fucking sheer uh, uh, street alley beatings. I, I, you know, it doesn't even have to fucking involve police on that level. If, if you show these fucking disgusting people getting what they deserve, true consequences for their disgusting fucking actions then maybe we could save a kid or we could prevent a kid from some real fucking trauma. I think that's fucking worth it. So I saw this and I just thought, you know, that's fantastic. He got off light. He was only stabbed a couple times. He should really have his fucking, you know, eyes gouged out and his dick cut off and, and then fucking killed. In my perfect world, that's how it would be handled. I realize that will never fucking happen in our world. Uh, but... I, I think we should really talk about shit like this a little bit more. The consequences of this type of behavior. You know, because if it is just one kid that's fucking protected, it's fucking worth it, you know? It may hurt some people's sensibilities, but fuck them. You know, it, it's not worth it for the, the, the shit that these kids have to go through during their time of abduction or, or molestation. It's just not worth it. Um, okay, so that that was all for that article. Uh, it just fucking pisses me off. I don't, I'm getting fucking hot around the collar. I'm getting pissed off. All right, so let's go ahead and move over into Creature Feature before I blow my lid. Like I said, this is the second half of the interview. So I, I'm going to show you a trailer. We're going to immediately jump into it because I literally cut it out of the entirety of the first interview. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of his movies, and then I'm going to show you a short film that he wrote uh, and, and we had discussed during the interview. 
So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, but it is, you know, starting and stopping pretty abruptly. So, you know, just so you know, that's why. Um, and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll move to close up this show. So if you'll hang in just for a little bit longer, it gets entertaining. Uh, here's Creature Feature. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She moves swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last is effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Um, and, and that's actually going to lead me into your first movie that you'd already briefly mentioned, Lullaby. I'd started, um, I started watching this today before the interview, and I, I sort of got caught up in, in, in the sort of opening sequence. Because I, I remember watching it when you first released it, um, and then uh, just watching it now, there's this moment in the very, very beginning that I wanted to ask you about, where it's... Uh, uh, like a heartbeat monitor, a heart rate monitor, and you're, um, oh, what did you say, like, uh, come back to me or something like that? Mm-hmm. So was that, you know, and this is going to be tough because I don't want to give away anything, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, what I liked, about, let me sort of change the course a little bit here. What I liked about Lullaby okay. is that it, it questioned I mean, there's a film sense of it questioned reality and it questioned perception and and what your mind is capable of convincing you of. But I think there's there's another layer to it where it speaks of perception in in reality, you know, within reality. So perception is such a strong thing that we can not only convince ourselves of 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 what's really around us or what what is truth, for for example. But uh, it can also convince us of things that are completely lies. And I think that's just a fascinating notion that you would think that because you're the one doing it, you're going to do it in your best self-interest. And this is not always the case. And, you know, we have (laughs) hospitals and jails and, you know, public parks full of people that are (laughs) are victims of their own minds. Um, And and I think that the fact that you you sort of... um, put that and packaged it into that film, I, I just think that's just brilliant because it is one of those things where I don't think any big industry um, uh, studio would necessarily want to promote that idea um, because really it, it doesn't, it's, it's not like a positive film. <laughs> like it doesn't end like with shining, you know, sun coming through a window yeah. or anything. Um, yeah. But it's still fascinating, nonetheless. And you know, for, for the audience out there, if you if you've never heard of this before, um, you certainly should because it's won uh, a bunch of awards. It's a fantastic film, uh, Lullaby. Where could they find this film? Uh, they can find it on well, you can find it on YouTube through the Zachy Gordon Institute's site uh, channel. But YouTube and their stupid, stupid policy of ten minute limit. Right. has it chopped up into two parts. So I would recommend that they go to, uh, there's a Facebook page for Lullaby. Mm-hmm. It's on there. It's on my Facebook page. If you go to www.facebook.com slash Travis David Sewer, uh, or if you go to 
uh, facebook.com slash lullaby movie. Uh, you can see it on either of those two sites. You can also see it on my blog. It's uh, www.wipesnifftoss.blogspot.com. And uh, you, can see all, you can see it on there. In either, any one of those three sites, you can see it in its entirety, so you don't have to watch it in chunks. So that's where I would tell you to go look at that. Don't, you can look it on the YouTube site, but like I said, YouTube's stupid 10-minute policy kind of <laughs> chopped that up. And it kind of, especially with that movie, when you chop it up into two parts where you have to stop and think for a second to click on the other one, it really <laughs> pulls you out of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's better to watch in its entirety. So, but to answer your question um, about the perception part of the movie, when I first started writing it, it was actually a completely different movie. Wow. Um, when I first started writing it, it was about a guy who had uh, who was schizophrenic, but he was he had like a couple roommates that were all you were going to try to figure out whether they were real or imaginary, and uh, it was about this guy who was. He had 10 minutes to live, and one of his imaginary friends was going to kill him, and he was trying to figure it all out. I was going to do a real sort of noir style. Yeah. Sort of thriller. And as I started writing it and getting closer and closer to the day, I just thought to myself, you know what? I really want, I really want to challenge myself as a director as far as depth, like trying to get a, a emotional depth out of my actors. And so I started thinking, I was like, oh, and as far as writing goes, this is really neat and fun and, you know, everything like that, but it, it doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, like, guts, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have a whole lot of stuff, like, all the stuff, when you write a story, you have this, like, thin layer of, you know, how the plot goes and everything, and, you know, your plot points and everything you have to hit in the movie and everything like that for the audience to buy into it, but... What lullaby was, or what the the story I wrote before that was missing was the guts, all the stuff underneath it that just had the you know the real, like you were talking about the different layers of perception and reality and stuff like that. And I felt like writing it this way, the way I ended up writing it and the way they ended up doing it as a love story, kind of had all that. And I could tell a love story without telling a love story, yeah. in a sense. So I could tell a love story more about how we perceive our our surroundings and how we, you know, who says what in, what's in front of me? I mean, who says this, this uh, what me looking at you right now is actually happening? You know, right. maybe this is all as part of your head and maybe it's all part of mine. It's, it's fascinating what we can con convince ourselves to believe in our own head. And I just wanted to kind of touch on that in this movie. Like, what if, you know, this person that you really loved more than anything, you know, this person that you felt was, uh, like, I guess your soulmate in a sense, you know, that you felt like was connected to you inside. What if this person wasn't even real? What if this person was just a complete imagination, a complete, uh, a complete figment of your imagination that you created to kind of protect yourself from this traumatic incident that you faced? So that's where the, uh, the writing of that came from and that, that whole perception of reality and everything like that. I really loved the idea of just putting this story out that had so much guts and so much to it that you could watch it a couple times and still pick up things. Like I have people that have watched it, I don't know how many times, people, friends of mine, and they watched it again and again. They're like, oh my God, I didn't notice the fish was dead at the end. The fish wasn't even alive. And I was like, yep, she didn't take care of the fish because if you saw in the beginning, he's feeding the fish and he's not real. So there's no fish that dies. 
<laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> there's just there's just the, and uh, also disclaimer: we didn't really kill a fish. Uh, I, <laughs> so, Peter, calm down. So, yeah, we get so I had so many people come up to me and be like, "I can't believe you killed that poor fish," and I'm like, "You didn't kill a fish. I would not kill a fish because I know I would have thousands of people like you on my ass for something that's silly as a." So, uh, <laughs> so and and there's just little bits and pieces of that. I mean, we layered so much into it that. I mean, you could watch it a hundred times and still not pick up all the lines, little bits. So it's one of those that I, it's almost like a puzzle that I really loved putting together the way I did. So, yeah, you know, what, part part of what I I found so believable and actually partially relatable was the relationship element of it. You know, that's that was sort of the the tie-in for me. Like, okay, well, you know, I understand an emotional connection like that. I understand a romantic connection like that. Um, so. I'm going to put myself, and actually I put myself in his position, so I'm going to put myself in his position. At the end, I was like, motherfucker, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Fucking you know what's funny, too, is the way you get the audience to really connect is through that emotional love story and through the, you know, you get and people invested in caring about these two people because you present these real, real moments yeah. that the, they share as a couple, and the challenge in doing that in a short film is you have to do that really fast, and it was really, really tough to get you to love those characters in just a few pages. And with the way I ended up cutting it and ended up shooting it and everything like that, I had, I don't know how many times when I showed it to the teachers at the school before I you know, put it out there, I don't know how many times they told me, you have way too long of an intro. Your your movie is way too long. It's way too slow at the beginning. And I'm like, no, no, no. I have it. It has to be told this way because if I just rush into it, you're not going to care about these characters. And then when it gets to the ending, it doesn't matter because you didn't care about them in the beginning. So I have to tell the story this way. And that's almost where a lot of people either will love or will not like my movies. I'm yeah. very patient, and I will re- ask you to be patient in the opening so I can get you to care about these people and get you to care about these characters. So it takes a little bit of patience, and that's kind of old-school Hollywood. Yeah. Old-school Hollywood yeah. is a lot like that. And the movies now, I mean, it's all about a hook. They're trying to hook you in within five minutes. And how many times have you seen somebody get shot or a bomb go off? Just That didn't really make much sense in the story. <laughs> it's just how they hooked you in. Yeah, some so, sort of action element. Yeah, exactly. And the way I I just wanted to do it the old school Hollywood way, just real patient, patient, patient storytelling. Just do it the way they would have done it back in the day before they really started ruining a lot of movies. Nice. So, well, let me contrast this discussion with um, the the second film that I have listed here, um, Behind Closed Doors. So you just mm-hmm. wrote this, right? Or you were I, part of the team? No, that was that was one I just wrote and handed off. So um, it was one of our projects in school that you, each week you wrote, you wrote, an item, you wrote a film a short, you shot it and directed it and everything like that. And this one is one I really, really loved writing it. I thought it was so, I loved the way I wrote it. And then I got handed, and then that week the teachers were like, hey, this week's surprise, we're going to hand the, everybody's scripts and just mash them around in the mouth. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I really wanted this one. This is the one I wanted. And they gave it to somebody else. And I, the reason I st- 
still include it on all my stuff is I, I'm, I'm still very happy with what the way it turned out. I would have done things a tiny bit differently, but for the most part, it still gets the it get, it still gets the just of the story. Yeah. So I really like to include it in a lot of the stuff. I mean, if you really dug deep, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff on YouTube that some of my classmates put up there that I wrote or was a part of that I don't want to claim. <laughs> it's bad. So I don't, I, th this is one I'm particularly fond of still. I think it's still got a little bit of the uh, style that I like in it. So it's, it's, it's definitely different from Lullaby. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think it's still good in a different way. I think it's, yeah, actually, I got to tell you, I think the best part of that was the way the actors delivered the lines. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I watched it online, and, uh, you know, I got to say, one of my favorite moments of that, and, and, you know, I'm sorry this doesn't include you on this, but when the, the psychiatrist <laughs> looks over at the wife, really upset, and then she just does this sort of eye take back to the guy... <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, "I'm not hurting anyone," and she does this eye take back to the girl <laughs> and back to him. I was just like, yeah. "That is fucking just that's solid." <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. I absolutely love that, and I just totally imagined you, whether you did or not, in in the background saying, "Hey, no, no, no you got to do this, do this real quick," you know? Yeah, that's, well, that's a, a attention to detail I can see. That's a that's a total credit to the the actors that were in it and the guy that directed it. Um, she did a real good job with making sure they got those awkward moments to really stretch out and play out and he did a real good job with it so that's i mean it's it's a total credit to them and everything like that i'm really happy with the way they pulled it off the only things i would have liked to have done different is the the whole i mean to give everything away the cross-dressing yeah uh the cross-dressing almost played out uh almost uh, I don't know how to describe it. It it came to me. It came across as when I wrote it, I was imagining the whole uh, "Would you fuck me? I would fuck me" from so Silence of the yeah. So when I wrote it, I wrote it kind of like that, but with a sort of in excess song in the background. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just kind of like Silence of the Lambs, no. but in a different way. <laughs> And I feel like the way he did it, it was just almost like it was making fun of it. You know what I mean? Like instead yeah. of actually owning it. So that was the only part of it I'd do different. But I think the rest of it, they did really, they did a really good job with it, and I'm still really happy with it. So it was, it's again, one of those examples. One of those examples of I'm really glad I wasn't on the set because I might have screwed it up. <laughs> I might have said, "Oh, that's not," and I might have had them, you know, forced out of those moments that that you really enjoyed and I'm sure yeah. everybody really enjoys in the movie so and they got really good moments and those those like you said those uh, those reaction shots are just priceless the way they did it so yeah, it, it was good stuff you know I'm, I'm actually really curious about Eloquent so I saw your teaser drop and mm -hmm. I got a fucking heart on <laughs> I, I want to see this thing um, yeah. is there anything you can tell me about it without giving anything away Eloquent in the in the in the way you saw it is that's actually almost all of it. Um, I'm doing it in a different the way I'm. Uh, uh, I guess I should kind of hold on. Uh, the way I should pre uh, preface this is that lately I've been really fascinated with the ideas of artistic metaphors and um, what I can do with a camera 
and try to tell a story and try to tell a metaphor in a way without using almost no words. So what I can do is, like, as far as directing an actor, uh, facial expressions, you know, all sorts of different things like that. So Eloquent is actually the first of a series of these small little uh, artistic metaphors, basically, that are going to be just a couple minutes long each, and then I'm going to kind of jam them all together. And it's probably going to make a, uh, a little movie that's going to make people just be like, what the fuck was that? But... <laughs> In the end, I think it's going to be it's going to be really, uh, really interesting, and I'm very I'm very excited for it. There's uh, eloquent is going to in the full form. It might be a little bit longer, but that might be most of it, yeah. depending on how the other ones shape up. Um, the next one I'm doing is actually the one I'm so ex- uh, so excited for. It's one I've been working on for the longest time, and uh, it's called Epiphany. It's about this uh, this girl. And uh, uh, she's going to she's going to kill herself. And right before she kills herself, she decides she changes her mind. And at the same time that happens, a guy just that that's been watching her through the window just so happens to break in to kill her. Oh shit! So yeah, it's this. And and the way I'm putting it together, this actually kind of runs back to you again. I don't know if you remember about nine years ago, you showed me this movie called The Rules of Attraction. Yeah. And that movie, I mean, it's 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 all right. It's not the greatest masterpiece in the world, but not there are some there are some great moments and there are some great shots. And I kind of got the idea from this. Do you remember the the, the shot that that movie is only famous for? Really, is the 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 split screen where yeah. they come together in the end? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I that's how I want to try to do this one. I want to try to show it with two point of views. Basically, you see her point of view and his point of view. And in the end, they come together, and that's they meet in the middle, and that's where he is uh, chopping her to bits. Holy shit! So, it's going to be a, a very um, ambitious, artistic, <laughs> ambitious, <laughs> and uh, I probably just uh, dug my own grave here. <laughs> yeah, now we all expect it. Is <laughs> pulling off that shot because they had. They had cameras and uh, motion control sensors and all sorts of things helping them do theirs. And they still, if you've ever seen the featurettes on that movie, they still messed it up when they did it. Uh, <laughs> they missed their focus marks. They did a whole bunch of stuff. And that was having computers control it. So I'm going to do it with just me and a camera. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot and see what I can come up with. But either way, I'm going to tell that story the way uh, from the, almost the two two different perspectives. So that one's the next one I'm working on. I'm hopefully shooting it within three and a half weeks. Oh, wow. So getting a jump start on that one, hopefully it'll be done in the middle of June. And the plan is to kind of do one of these every every month for a couple months and just kind of string them together and show them in a, in a different sense. So uh, nice. put them on in the end. Cool, man. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bazaar of the Bazaar. <laughs> oh, behind closed doors, that was badass. Alright. <laughs> Just fucked up, man. Uh, I'm not hurting anyone. <laughs> uh, okay, so, you know what? <laughs> The people catching this live show are uh, the only ones that are going to understand that. 
Otherwise, if you want to find out, go to uh, Travis Sewer's Facebook page or search him on YouTube, and you can find him there. Still trying to adjust my sound here. All right, so today's Bizarre the Bizarre this week is about tearing off toilet paper. And this is going to be weird. I freely admit. But it's something that bugs the fucking shit out of me. And it happens more often than not. And this is going to sort of inform you about my OCD tendencies. But, uh... Okay, so... And, of course, now I'm having fucking server issues. Oh, well, we're almost over, so I'm just going to sort of pile through this here. Um, you know, when you're done, toilet paper has perforated lines in it. So you think that, you know, you want, you know, however many fucking squares you're used to, you just rip it off at the fucking perforated line and everything's fine. But it never fucking happens that way. So I end up, like, pulling it, and then in the middle of the fucking sheet, it, like, rips down, and I end up with, like, these shreds of fucking toilet paper, like, hanging, and then I have to sort of, like, wad them up and roll them up, and then have to fucking pull off more in order to get this <laughs> level of... Uh, it's, it's just so frustrating to me. And, and it sounds so absurd even saying it now, but it is, you know, one of those things that w- when you're in that situation... Uh, using the bathroom, finishing up, and, and going to grab toilet paper. The last thing you want to worry about is shreds of fucking toilet paper. That's just fucking aggravating beyond all aggravating. <laughs> you know, it's just fucking stupid stuff that shouldn't fucking happen. So the perforations should fucking work all the time. And I don't want to have to, like, reach over and brace it with one hand so I can get a clean, swift yank on it to get it fucking tore off just fucking perfectly just fucking work man why can't things just fucking work the way they're intended it is so aggravating shreds of toilet paper that you have to fucking wad up to use Ugh. <laughs> whatever alright well I'm not gonna reconnect the show because we're at the end of the show so I'm just going to have to um Apologize to everyone later, or just listen to this live on the on the on your radio later, or on your computer later, uh, and you'll have to take it at that. That's all for another show. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope at some level it was entertaining. Um, we've actually gone uh, pretty long from the hour that I had planned. I say pretty long; it's like fucking ten minutes here. Um, if you want to get in contact with me to complain about my UStream fucking connection or to talk about the shows or the content of the shows, or maybe you want to get in contact with one of the interviewed individuals, uh, you can do that by sending email to info at ninecentspodcast.com. You can also uh, uh, check out uh, the Facebook page and make a comment there. Um, you know, you can even suggest weekly topics on the Facebook page or weekly Bizarre of the Bizarre topics that you'd like to hear someone talk about or, or rant about. Uh, you can check me out live on Ustream on my website or on Facebook every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, you can download the show Monday nights through RSS feeds found at 9centspodcast.com. Or better yet, just wait for it to come out on Radio Free Satan and listen to me with the other fantastic podcast DJs found there. Uh, That's RadioFreeSatan.com, all as one word. 
Uh, you can learn more about the Church of Satan by picking up the fucking Satanic Bible. And if you haven't done it already, what is wrong with you? Like, really? It's like, what, like eight bucks or something? Drop the dime. Get the Satanic Bible. Uh, change your fucking life. Uh, okay, so churchofsatan.com is the website. Undercroft at Satannet, or the Undercroft, which is satannet.com, is a social networking site where you can meet other like-minded individuals. And... Um, they have a great letters to the devil message board where you can really connect directly uh, through a plethora of topics with other Satanists and other individuals with the aesthetic bent. Um, before I go, I, I, once again, I want to talk about my book, How Crow Got a Scare Back. Uh, it's a children's book talking about how it's easy to lose confidence within yourself, but you shouldn't because it's always there within yourself and uh, uh, I'm not really doing it justice right now because I'm a little bit tired but <laughs> check it out at uh, adampcampbell.com forward slash crow or check out the Facebook page how crow got his scare back um, all one word uh, it, it's certainly worth it it's, it's definitely worth uh, the price there's a bunch of add-ons that you can find on the website at all not at all, but uh, also to enhance the story. And um, you know what? It's it's a nice little children's book uh, talking about some important self-confidence. You know, it's it's kind of essential for children. <laughs> uh, anyway, also I would like to really, you know, quickly once again thank Radio Free Satan for adding me to their network uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it, and I'm going to do my best to, uh, you know, make you proud. <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue delivering weekly shows, and uh, hopefully you'll like them. Let me know if you don't. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, as I say every week, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan.